It's there. It's another jarring cacophony. And it can only mean one thing. It's the Power of Three podcast on day four of our November Mega Book Marathon. I'm Kenny Smith, and I'm joined by my co-conspirator, fellow book lover, and generally all-round sound bloke, currently wearing a Superman t-shirt. Yes, because I am the Man of Steel. Yes, David Steele here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Day four, we're just about finished our supplies of pre-packed tuna fish, so we're <laughs> going to have to move on to the pre-packed frozen fish fingers to keep us going in our little book bunker here. I think there was I think there was more chocolates when I went to my bed last night than there was this morning. If I didn't know better, I'd swear that someone else had been eating them. I don't know. I'm not pointing any elbows at Kenny, but there you go. Oh, I mean, it's I, I can't believe you said that. I mean, it's I was I've been too busy looking at the custard supplies to go with our fish fingers. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> I do like I do like oh. custard. Love custard. Yes, I don't mind custard. Don't mind it. It has to be nice and hot, though. I'm, I remember as a child, like, nearly being sick when eating it once and getting some of the skin sort of, you know, the, the <laughs> developed corner of my throat and just being a bit. Bleh. So I have to be careful with custard. Listeners, do you have, what puddings do you have issues with, and do you have to be careful with? Right, and let us know. So day four, obviously, it's the fourth Doctor. It's Tom Baker. Kenny, which book are we discussing? in honour of the Fourth Doctor today. Well, we are going to take a trip over to America to a rather chilly one. We're going to be chatting about Drift by Simon A. Forward. And this is a novel that was originally published in February 2002 and was BBC Past Doctor Adventure number 50. Gosh. Listeners, once again, this is one that I haven't read. Yeah, what can you do? So Kenny's going to do most of the talking about this one. So who's in this one with the Doctor? Who's travelling with him on this one? It's the Doctor and Leela. And right. they, they arrive in a rather chilly setting. Uh, they're going to arrive in... Well, they're not going to arrive. They do arrive in New Hampshire during the winter and there's plenty of snow around and they meet some military-type people. And in fact, Dave, why am I telling people? Why don't you tell them what the back cover <laughs> blurb has to say? White. The perfect camouflage for ghosts. White consumes the New Hampshire landscape and troops move in on a survivalist cult following a spate of unnaturally severe blizzards. The Special Forces Group, White Shadow, are searching for the missing fragments of a US Air Force jet which crashed while engaged in top secret test flights over the region. The Doctor and Leela have arrived at quite literally the wrong time. Thanksgiving is approaching, traditionally a holiday all about home and family. But this year, all that is lost. Like the local community, in the grip of something far more sinister than a harsh winter. Like young Amber Malu, victim of a broken home that won't even settle in one place. Even White Shadow is lost. Out of its depth and up against an enemy that not even the Doctor can find in this world of white. An enemy that promises the bleakest of midwinters for the people of New Hampshire. And, before springtime, the end of life on Earth. There we go. That was far more succinct than I could put it. But yeah, this is a um, great novel. I'm a big fan of Simon's work. Of course, we got to meet him down at Novel Experiences. Of course. Um, remind the listeners which other books he's written. Well, Drift was his first book. He wrote the novella Shellshock for Telos. And he also had Emotional Chemistry published by BBC Books. And you might also know his work for Big Finish as he wrote a couple of audio plays, including The Sandman, and also, you, you remember that one, Sixth Doctor and the Galliari? 
Uh-huh, I do remember that one, quite an early one, yeah. Yep, and he did its sequel, Dreamtime, which had the seventh Doctor, Ace and Hex. Yes, of course, yes. Oh, God, they are, they are that. It's going back a bit. Gee whiz. Yeah. Gee whiz. I to, yes. I've, I love Simon's world building because I think that with um, the clutch, which features in the Sandman, sort of an alien sort of spaceship, all sort of gathered together setting, I think it's wonderful. It's very, very clever and very good at building realistic worlds. And I suppose in some ways, building yourself something new on Earth on a place where you've you've never visited in the in this case New Hampshire it's quite um, an interesting one particularly when there's an alien entity which has uh, oh, how do we, how do we sum it up that's not sentient enough to have meaningful communication but it is able to communicate via emotion so it's quite a an interesting premise that one again interesting aliens like the Galliari interesting I've seen some comparison of this one that's sort of comparing it to, to Stephen King novels. Do you think that's fair? Well, very much so. The setting feels very Stephen King. And yeah. just that isolated village kind of thing, just out in yeah. out in the countryside where everybody's yeah, out on their own and there's yeah, there's ice storms which flare up so there's as a result of the alien. So I think it's quite a it's different. Right. It's very different. Um, mm-hmm. And it does have that sort of horror element. And Leela, is, I think, is really well written in this. I think you can imagine Lou Jameson saying the words. Right. And I think my favourite moment is when the Doctor gets drunk to try and stave off some alien naughtiness. Um, I mean, it's, I suppose it's sort of like it's taking the ginger <laughs> beer stuff from the Android Invasion or ginger pop and taking it one step further, isn't it? Okay. Interesting. No, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about, like, Leela being in... Because when you think about it, Leela was in quite a few books from the from the BBC. You know, she all the Chris Boucher ones, obviously, and then was it Eye of Heaven in, in this one? Because I don't think Virgin used them in any of their missing adventures, so it's it's good that the BBC gave her a better crack of the whip, so to speak. But, um, yes, we've probably rambled enough. Shall we hear? Shall we hear from Simon? Yes, let's head over to the south of England, down towards Cornwall, Penzance Way. Hi, I'm uh, Simon Forward. I'm the author of uh, a number of Doctor Who novels and audio dramas and whatnot. And today we're here to talk about Drift, my first, my debut novel. Well, there we go. And it was also number 50 in the past Doctor Adventures. Ah, yeah, I'd I'd actually forgotten where it came, uh, you know, but... uh, so I guess a uh, double milestone in that case. So. <laughs> I'll, well, tell us a wee bit about the origin of it, because I believe it wasn't originally planned for the fourth Doctor and Leela. No, um, I think, well, I, I was in the habit of uh, sending in, uh, I, I think I told you before, but like bombarding Steve Cole and Justin Richards with book proposals. But this this one, I think, was the first one that ended up in Justin Richards' uh, intro. And I'd also been having a lot of my book proposals, including Emotional Chemistry, were originally for Third Doctor and his show. I just absolutely love that team. Some people might have thought it an obsession. <laughs> oh, another one for Third Doctor and his show. But uh, oddly enough, I don't think they did that many of those. Um, but anyway, for um, what it's worth, Justin, who was the editor at the time, 
finally say, oh yeah, I really like what you've got here with Drift, but have you considered making a fourth Doctor? And I guess because they have uh, like scheduled slots to you know cover each Doctor and stuff. So, and he said you can have Sarah Jane Smith with him or Leela, you know, sort of go with that. And I, I thought, oh yeah, I can do that because it, it actually sort of suits that Doctor just as well. There's, just, I'm, I'm a big fan of horror, fan rock, the sort of isolationist horror and everything and this although it's out in the open it's still isolated and it has that same sort of atmosphere and and i just opted for leela simply because i thought you know what as far as i'm aware she's never encountered snow before <laughs> so I, I was like i really want to write that for her <laughs> so uh, so that's how it all uh, sort of came about and as a, a sort of side benefit, if you like, um, or beneficial side effect, which I had this family uh, in their uh, locals in the New Hampshire uh, region called Shaw, and there's about Shaw. So we actually thought that a Liz Shaw might be overdoing the Shaw. Um, so, you know, so that worked out. <laughs> you know, the setting is great because it's, you know, instead of being the the usual sort of home counties kind of setting. So I suppose that was also part of your thinking, just to take full advantage of the fact that with novels, you don't need to worry about budgets like that. Uh, exactly. I mean, not not only was it, sort of, uh, I suppose, part of the brief for both uh, The Missing Adventures and The Past Doctors, is, is like, but it, but it also appealed to me, that sort of broader canvas. I mean, not to knock Doctor Who, but you get a bit tired of seeing English villages or... London or, you know, the usual suspects of locales. And so, uh, and I just think the books uh, and the audience to that matter give you that sort of freedom to go wherever you like with the, the, the very thing that the TARDIS is meant to do, which doesn't often get to do on the TV simply because it costs money. <laughs> Whereas imagination, you know, costs nothing. Um, and that's fueled by the odd bit of um, creative <laughs> alcohol, but uh, that's another story. We'll come back um, to that later. Yeah, there's something I've got to ask you about that. Oh, but, uh... oh okay. But it, it's the it's the it's that freedom, and, and you just go well. I mean, I, I I'd never been to the states uh, at the time, so it was it was a real sort of step of imagination in that respect. But I, I just. I like to exercise my imagination like that. So, and, and I don't think, no disrespect to you, north of the border, you know, snowy Scotland wouldn't have quite done it for me, even though that would be an equally potent setting in terms of atmosphere and, uh, you know, weather. <laughs> no offence taken, Simon, none whatsoever. <laughs> We've got a military organisation in there as well. It's, I mean, it's very much, it could have been units, but the fact the Doctor just uses his unit pass, and I suppose that's a great bit of shorthand. Almost psychic paper before, that was the thing. Yeah, do you know, actually, I'd only just re-looked at that, and I, I'd sort of I'd sort of forgot <laughs> that that was in there. But, but yeah, I, de I definitely wanted uh, a sort of separate military outfit. Uh, gave me a chance to come up with uh, my own sort of set of characters, but... Yeah, I mean, you can sort of look at them as a sort of, uh, yeah, they probably had connected units, but, but they were more, I envisaged them as more sort of, rather than the people, you know, defending the earth against 
unnatural or um, strange things. They were uh, more the sort of underhand secret, like mucking about with <laughs> alien artifacts and whatever. You almost create an organization that does that. Oh no, hang on, that's been done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably been done uh, multiple times by now, but at, yeah. at the time, I mean, I, I really wasn't um, that familiar at the time with what other people were doing. So I was kind of like carving out my own little corner of the Doctor Universe, ideas that had been cooking for a while and then sort of coalescing in these novels. With the setting, the fact that it's something that we could imagine, whereas obviously alien worlds can be vast and you know, purple skies with, you know, passing orange bright bubbles and things like that, just because that's the way they are. But in terms of this, the world building was pretty much done for you because we all know what a snowy forest looks like and what a snowy lake looks like. Log cabins, a town covered in snow. I suppose that's something of a bit of a shorthand that helps you to sell it. Well, it does. and I mean, I think it was when I actually wrote this the early 2000s so um i think uh you know google was a help just everything so but it's translating that into you know the prose and i, I think uh, <laughs> i probably helped matters uh, for the readers or, or hindered them by coming up with about 100 different descriptions of the snowy landscapes and the trees and everything so you know yeah they weren't going to miss out on that <laughs> With that setting, your villain of the piece, your monster of the week, sort of tied in quite nicely with that location. I assume that was all part of the plan, just to keep it all sort of related, uh, and so that you've got something existing within that setting in a credible way. It was, although the actual uh, nature of that beast came out of... I was watching the movie Fargo, and the very, very beginning of that, a car is coming down the road but you don't you don't see it and it just emerges out of this like blanket whiteness and it was such a, an evocative sort of image it stayed with me uh, and that's where the i think that's where my line white the perfect camouflage for ghosts uh, on the cover blurb comes from because it's like yeah you can have a ghost story in whiteness it doesn't have to be in the dark you know <laughs> just as effective because yeah. a lot of the best horror ghost stories rely on what you can't see. And yep. So where did the idea for the storm core come from? Of course, that's the the story, the, the the device at the heart of the story. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, it's a bit of a MacGuffin, but actually, I was wanting something for them to be like mucking about with and experimenting with. Um, a lot of that is stuff that happened, if you like, before the novel started. But I happened to have another story idea which I sort of pootled about with years before, and it, I just oh, it could be that, you know, and that was to do with some sort of you know, psychic weather control gubbins. But this device sort of had to sort of fit with what I wanted to do with drift, so I thought, well, I'll throw it in there because if it looks likely to work, use it. So. <laughs> I suppose that's the thing with the with the ice creature. It's it's something that's there by circumstance. It's not because it wants to be, and you've got an element of sympathy with it. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, it's not it's not the only thing I've done in that. You know, I, I don't. I don't really 
like to deal in sort of cut and dried black and white, good and evil, uh, and and even even the nastiest villains have their own perspective on that. But they usually, unless they're in a pantomime, don't actually think they're evil anyway. So, but the the nature of this uh, creature just appealed to me more because it was just the idea of well. It's not actually out to do anything bad. It's not out to take over the world. That's just, it's, you know, it's just being. And, uh, you know, an unfortunate effect of its uh, existence because it's inimical to um, other uh, life is that, oh dear, it's um, crystallizing everyone and changing them into it. So how did you find writing for this Doctor and Leela? Uh, well... I hate to use another weather analogy, but a breeze, really. Uh, and I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I grew up with them. I mean, Tom's voice, particularly. I think, I think I vaguely recall rewatching Horror of Bang Rock just to, because Tom has several sub eras, if you like. There's different shades of Tom, so, and I definitely wanted to channel that one where he, he's like sort of a little more, uh, what should we say, moody and <laughs> somber, but. So, and I mean, the the voices are in my head in a non sort of lunatic way. Uh, you, know, you, you can tap into them, and you don't actually have to rewatch any of those episodes if you've grown up with them that much. So, when you're sticking these characters in any kind of new situation, their voice, their dialogue, just the way they're experiencing it, which um, that goes into it's all it's all kind of already there embedded in my brain yeah the thing that made me laugh and harking back to your alcohol mention earlier on is the fact that the doctor one point downs a dozen whiskies and they've all got to be at least 12 years old and part of me was thinking hmm that's very probably akin to what tom baker himself was doing in the real world at the time as well i yeah I, i've heard the stories and i don't you know i have no reason to doubt them i mean <laughs> For me, that, if, if it was me, that would be a matter of personal pride. But uh, <laughs> so, so, so I'm not judging him. But I think, it, yeah, it just kind of obviously Mary Whitehouse would have would have had connections. But um, <laughs> the doctor drinking, you know. But, um, but it just uh, struck me as sort of uh, typically offbeat kind of. And yeah, quite doctorish thing to do if if we remove our own sort of social laws and everything from it. And and you know, I mean, he turns up in I think Android Invasion and, and orders ginger beer or something. Um, and obviously, it just amused me to sort of go, well, yeah, maybe he doesn't drink, but he could if he wanted. And in this case, he's doing it for the sake of humanity. <laughs> Yeah, drink alcohol, save the world. Yeah, yeah, you know, which, uh, you know, if I have a mission in life outside of writing, that would be all right. Yeah, I can think of worse ways to to save the world. So, yeah, it's a lot easier as well, (laughs) probably. Um, Not that we're in any way encouraging irresponsible. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Drink responsibly, folks. Absolutely. (laughs) How did you find creating your own characters? Because I'd imagine that Anytime there's military characters going to Doctor Who straight away, you're going to be compared with Lethbridge Stewart, Captain Yates, uh, Sergeant Benton, or Brigadier Bambera. Right, yeah. Well, one of the things I decided from the get go was that 
they're not going to be anything like them. <laughs> so it's kind of like you set off with not a negative view, but it's just like right, these are all well and fine in the TV show, but I want I wanted well, and the other thing is that. I kind of, I was guess I was kind of reacting to often what you get other than the you know the Bensons and the Yates and the Lethbridge Stewarts and Barons soldiers in Doctor Who you know get a raw deal of it generally they're like oh there's that bloke he's going to get stepped on by the giant rope and we didn't really know him we, we you know you know some some extra doing his best and everything and we really didn't even have a sketch of who these people were they were literally just like red shirts effectively and, and so one of my missions with this was that and, and i actually i went to a town in two different respects on the one hand i thoroughly researched uh, just military cold weather operations um got, got onto the u.s army website and you know, just ridiculous lengths to go to, but but also I drew up my cast, if you like, and that so you, you don't really get a sense of all of them in drift. But I had a firm idea of most of the platoon as to who these characters were, and it's it's not the sort of thing that you then dump wholesale into the knoll, but. It's give you that idea so that if you if you know who they are, and you could give uh, a little bit of personality, a little bit of colour, whenever that particular soldier turns up. I mean, it's been uh, argued that I overdid it, and I, I probably did, just like with the snow. But um, but I feel that I would have rather gone that way. You know, give give these poor people who are doomed to die probably <laughs> most um, some little sort of it's so that you get at least a little bit of connection. I mean, obviously, with you can't uh, have them all have sort of full character profiles and everything because it's only an eighty-five thousand-word novel. It's not like George R. R. Martin or <laughs> whatever. But, I do like um, the way you said that so casually. It's only an eighty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, so uh, and those those were my two approaches. We just get a bit of military authenticity and a tiny bit of a character sketch for each of these uh, yeah. people, so that I knew who I was dealing with. Then the sort of stronger characters kind of emerge. It's just when you mentioned there, sort of doing your research into military procedures, I think you'd uh, look at UFOs and how they were sort of dealt with by the military at the time as well. I probably, I don't remember researching this, but, but I have had some history of like, you know, I used to have the Unexplained magazine, you used to watch, well, actually another big influence on this was The X-Files, um, which I guess that really sort of fed into that side of things with the UFOs and whatnot. I think when you tie that with the sort of military research it it just seems a little more credible even though it's a fantastic scenario and everything but uh, it's just building that credibility into it yeah so you mentioned this was your first novel how did you find <laughs> disciplining yourself to work your way through it did you work with daily targets or weekly targets and things like that well what well, the funny thing is that I think, as I said, I think I first sent the proposal in to Steve Cole and then they had the changeover of editors. And whilst I was waiting, 
to hear back about it, I just thought, you know, I'm going to just press on. And write. So I ended up writing half of it before I knew it was going to get the go-ahead. So it, so it began really as just a, just something I wanted to do rather than a, a you know, job, if you like. So when it became a, a commission, there was the first sort of wave of like, hey, you know, child, childish excitement, glee. And then it was a case of settling down, oh, crap, now I've got to write this and make it really good. <laughs> so there was an element, some element of pressure. And, and that's where the, the, the discipline had to kick in. I, I sort of had to still enjoy what I was doing, but also take it a bit more seriously kind of thing. So, and so I think there was a little pause while I got my act together and then kind of, yeah, entered that sort of quite decent sort of uh, self-discipline thing where you're going to write, I'm going to write this much a day and, you know, we're going to get that chapter sorted. Uh, so, because back back in those days, I, I you know, I was, um, and from then on, I never, never, ever missed a deadline that's changed since. But, uh, but back then, it was like, what one thing, right, I'm definitely going to get it done by you know, whatever deadline they gave me. And, and so there was like a real sort of galvanized mentality that worked there. So. <laughs> Is it true that when you were writing this book, you actually lived near a village in Reservoir by the name of Drift? I did indeed. Yeah, it's a very, it's quite a well-known sort of local spot. People go to like picnics and stuff. Like and the, the funny thing is that all my uh, local friends down here in Cornwall, the first thing they would ask is, well, is it set at the reservoir? And I'm like, not quite. <laughs> but yeah, so didn't really play into my thinking, but it's like... It's a nice coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Nice little anecdote to throw yeah. in at parties. <laughs> what did you think of the cover when you first saw it? It's one of those ones that just... For some reason, I always associate BBC books with a white cover as being something special. So, yeah, because there weren't that many, and uh, I think I think Father uh, Time, Infinity Doctors, the white, um, right, right, yeah, um, Fear itself. Are oh two. yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, but yeah, when I first, well, actually, when I first saw it, I thought it was very good, but they'd put like. Arctic landscape behind this, <laughs> so and even Justin Richards said, "Yeah, this isn't right." So they they redid the background, but so it was more like when I saw it second, <laughs> I was blown away because because it's it's well for one thing it was almost exactly what I imagined I wanted on the cover, and it's just those you know those footprints in the snow are very like evocative you know um, particularly as i just reread a passage quite at the beginning uh, with the doctor and leela have clearly sort of wandered off and they've literally lost their way back to the tardis i mean they were they were going to leave so <laughs> um and, and of course it amused me that well yeah their footprints are there at the moment but there's it's been a bit of a blizzard since uh, it's like that you know, was a very brief set of footprints i think but it's not <laughs> Creative license, we'll call it that. Yeah. So it was your first book. It was your first Doctor adventure. So you'd go on to write more. So how do you look back on this one now? I, I'm obviously uh, I'm 
very, very fond of it. And um, again, I had a brief look through and I can be pretty pleased. There's, uh, I, I do think it's, uh, if I wrote it these days, it would be more sort of what they call deep point of view and less sort of flowery prose. But, um, you know, back then I was heavily, heavily influenced by both uh, Ray Bradbury. And as I say, drawing on things like the X-Files and uh, the more atmospheric Doctor Who stories like Horror of Fang Rockwell, to convey that kind of atmosphere in a book, you are kind of relying on uh, prose and the story sort of is really found, rooted in that atmosphere. So it was quite important. Like I said, I think I would write it a bit differently now, but and it would be probably leaner and sharper, but... But I'm actually, yeah, I'm really proud. As, as a first novel, I think I kind of look and I think, wow, how did I do that? Cause, you know, it's, like, uh, it's a very, I think it's a very creative piece and it, it showed off some of my abilities, which I wasn't even aware of, really. So. You mentioned other authors there. To me, it also does sort of feel of Stephen King with the... With that right. sort of New England well, kind it, of villagey feel to it. People said that, and um, my mum, uh, bless her, <laughs> said uh, she never, she really wasn't into Doctor Who, and, um, and but she read this because you know my son read it. And, and she, one of the first things she said, and other people said it too, was, uh, "What I really like about this is it doesn't feel like a Doctor Who story." <laughs> Now, this was conversely a problem for some fans who prefer, would have preferred it to feel like a Doctor user, but I took it as a compliment because it's like, I always think, you know, Doctor Who is, is such a broad sort of canvas that not everything should automatically start as a natural Doctor Who story. It can be many things outside and beyond that, you know, and um, but either way, uh, and Many people said it was uh, it was reminiscent of Stephen King. And I, I was like, yeah, I've never read any of his books, but <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I'll take it. If only it yeah. sold in the same numbers as Stephen King books do. Yeah, I, I, I'd be sitting in fancier surrounds, I think, by now, if that was the case. To be honest, yes. you probably wouldn't be talking to me if you were, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I would. I'm sure people oh. would have told me, no, no, Kenny, he's a nice guy. Have a, have a word with him. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable what, thinking back uh, on the reactions to it. And um, But one of my favourites, which I really I have to mention, is that a guy from New Hampshire wrote to me and said, wow, you, you know, you've really captured my state in winter and stuff. And I, I was like, that is the biggest, that's all I need to know, you know? All the other reviews, yeah, I'll read them and, you know, yeah. take on board and stuff. But but that one really just kind of did my job, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All thanks to the wonders of Google image searches. <laughs> well, exactly. You've got to start some. Not that, not that I, I mean, I think, this was well after I'd been to uh, Siberia, which would have been another good setting. Um, but so I had some experience of snowy landscapes by then. But, you know, but I think capturing, you know, that very different landscape to New Hampshire. So and I think it was worth just, especially as parts of it. I I think I think I ended up having to write like the second half of it 
when it was getting towards uh, quite a nice summer. <laughs> and so outside, you know, there's a lovely golden sunshine, people on the beach. And I'm like, oh, God, I've got to be in snowy New Hampshire. How do I get myself there, you know? <laughs> oh, if only I could remember what a nice uh, sunny summer looked like. Yeah, you must have photos. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, maybe maybe yeah, they're, they're all sepia tinted yeah, and they're green. black and white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, uh, but I have to say, I just have to add that one thing. In fact, more recently, I went to Cardiff as part of a sort of Candy Jar Books event for the Lethbridge Sure Books. And, and it so happened, uh, Dream Come True, Louise Jameson was there. And I was all like sort of vanishing and, and like, but I thought, I'm not going home until I've talked to her, you know, I can't go back there. So I summoned up the manuscript and talked to her and, um, and uh, I happened to say about uh, how she'd long been a favourite uh, companion, Leela, and um, that I had the honour of writing for her character. And she was, and she, and she asked, what did I do differently for Leela, what special? And I was able to tell her about, like, I wrote Leela's first experience of snow and uh, she was well chuffed with that, so we had a good chat about that. And it's like that's a that's a special moment. Kind of like these chats we're having. It's a way that your work can like come back and not point you, but revisit you in a good way and go. Well, you know, that's add an extra frisson of um, pride and uh, a, a nice warm fuzzy feeling in there. <laughs> yeah, well, I certainly endured that, but it was more of a cold fuzzy feeling due to the, the weather, but. <laughs> I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So, Simon, thank you again for joining us for a chat. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, that was an interesting fact that Simon actually lives near a village called Drift, which I found quite funny. This was just something that um, I found out by chance. So, Well, that's pretty cool. That's interesting. And also the fact that it started out as a third Doctor in Liz Shaw book, which, to be honest, I don't really think it shows. From looking at it, I was quite... To me, it felt. I mean, yes, okay. There's there's some moments where there's like um, where the doctor's driving vehicles, which you don't really see Tom doing, but it's very pertwee that. But it generally did feel like you know it was you know this was Tom's voice throughout. I didn't have any right. This has sort of been rewritten. You can hear. I mean, yes, a strain you can push yourself to hear that. Um, that yeah, sort of that pertwee, sit- pertwee sarcasm, but yeah, I think maybe the situation's probably. Probably feels a bit more third doctory than fourth doctory, given the military being involved and, as you say, driving you know big chunky vehicles. You imagine, you know, the third doctor doing that quite easily. But so you know, it's it'd be quite poor if if someone was to start a book with one doctor in mind and change it to another, not kind of rework the dialogue and what have you. It'd be quite <laughs> be quite. An, I don't imagine them doing that particularly often. Um, no, I'll leave that to TV comic in the seventies. Absolutely, <laughs> but. Shall we have a quick check-in with our copy of I Who 3, the unauthorised guide to Doctor Who novels and audios, to hear what they had to say about Drift? Yes. Yeah, let's have a look. Okay, and they say, at the end of the day, imagine you're playing dodgeball and get presented with two targets. You fail to properly focus and impotently sail the ball straight between them. That's essentially the problem with Drift. On the one hand, it's a militaristic thriller involving the White Shadow Group, on the other, it's styled after Stephen King's quiet, moody, pedestrian New England stories. As both of these threads get equal emphasis, the muddled result spares little time on the Doctor and makes Leela become almost non-existent for long stretches, best described as some people wander in the snow and occasionally get frightened. 
drifts end in a white haze, much like its name implies. I think that's a little harsh. It's not one that I've read, so I can't comment, but that's a bit... Hmm, that's not very nice, is it? It's not. Gee, it I, I enjoyed it. I think it's a good read. I do think the Doctor and Leela are in it more than that review would imply. We haven't mentioned the cover yet. No, the cover's... um. How should we say, effective in its minimalism, isn't it? <laughs> Very much so. We've got the TARDIS sitting in a snowy field and some trees in the background and some footsteps leading from the door, but it looks like there's like a snowy haze, as if there's like a snowstorm ongoing. And for me, it's a beautiful one. I mean, I think that would work almost as a poster. You could, like a movie poster, you could see that as a, mm. almost like for a Christmas special. Yes, you can see it on the front of the Radio Times, or to to use that note, that um, 2010s terminology, you can see it as the, the iconic image of an episode very easily. <laughs> um, I would have had the scarf caught in the door or something, just to <laughs> tell people it was the fourth do- a fourth Doctor story. I think it's distinctive. That might have been a bit. Yeah, it's it's very very stylish, and I was actually you know it was a cover that I was aware of, but because I hadn't read the book, I don't think I've got a copy of that one. I was surprised when you told me it was a fourth Doctor because you'd think. Tom being so popular, they would have put him on the cover to try and hunt a few more copies. But not to worry. No, it looks good. And and hopefully um, a few people might consider going out and tracking a copy down because I would say it's a good read. And it's for me, it's one of those Fourth Doctor books that just goes under the radar. And that's a reason why I picked it because I think it's an enjoyable read and yeah. it deserves a little bit more love than perhaps it gets. Absolutely. So there we go. That's us. Day four. Right. We'd better um, give our socials a plug because if you want to have your say on this book, you can put it on our Twitter at Power of Three Pod and our Facebook page, which is alive. You can always um, message myself. I'm at Finished Zine. And I'm on Twitter at David Steele, D A V A D S T E E L. So, yeah, let us know what you think of Drifts. And, Kenny, what are we going to play it with today? Well, Dave, because the cover is all covered in snow. I was feeling a little festive when I looked at that. And, <laughs> you know, there's something that we don't particularly get as much of as we used to do when we were younger, and that is, of course, snow. And, I mean, in my mind, December the 25th was always a day where outside you could go into the garden, you could build a snowman and do whatever. So I thought, given that we don't see this kind of weather that often, I thought we should go for a song called... It doesn't often snow at Christmas by Pet Shop Boys. Another good tune to plug. It's always the Pet Shop Boys. Okay. Now, <laughs> funny story, actually, I remember when I first moved into my flat, when I got up in the morning of the first Christmas day that I spent it before my dad came and picked me up to bring me through Basley for Christmas dinner. It had been snowing, and it was a lovely feeling just to open the curtains and my first Christmas morning, my own place, and see it was snowing. Lovely. I was thinking you're actually there, but you're leading us towards walking in a winter wonderland or white Christmas. So um, <laughs> that, that'd have been quite funny for the 4th of November. Um, we put the Christmas decorations up. We're not yes, far away. <laughs> that'll do. Right, listeners, we'll, um, we'll see you tomorrow for Doctor Number 5. You will indeed. Bye-bye. Christmas is now.